following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. All right, we can turn your Bibles to Romans 8. We did uh, eight verses last week. We're only going to do two today, but a little different. Uh, so... Our text today is going to be Romans 8, verses 26 uh, through 27, which we'll uh, read here in a moment. Uh, Before we we do so, ever since the Garden of Eden, uh, one of humanity's favorite pastimes has been trying to improve on the nature of God. And so, all the way back, uh, really, um, pagans from from pretty early on have been trying to come up with, with better gods. And, and telling religious tales uh, built around those gods. Of course, even Israel tried to improve on God at the foot of Mount Sinai by making an invisible God visible. And then, of course, Muhammad uh, tried to imagine or, or create a God that, that he thought was better. Uh, Joseph Smith, the Jehovah's Witnesses, all sorts of others have tried to, to tweak God just to make Him a little bit better or a little bit more palatable to their sensibilities. But but when you compare all these other gods or forms of the true God to to the true God of Scripture, you know what you really find out? That, That none of them are actually improvements on who God really is. We can try as hard as we want to imagine a better version of God than the God of the Bible, And we will always strike out. God is perfect and wonderful in every way. Now, now that doesn't mean that there aren't parts of His character that aren't hard for us to comprehend or that don't make things uncomfortable at times. But that's not because of any fault in God. It's because of fault in us. And today's passage offers one of my favorite windows into God's incredible character. That God is great, He is awesome, He is mighty. And yet this passage describes His incredible concern for us and His nearness to us as His people. Romans 8, 26 and 27 say, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We've been talking a lot about the indwelling Spirit, and and folks, it is amazing that, that infinite God would make your body and my body His temple. But But here we learn That the Holy Spirit does not just indwell every Christian. He knows you. He knows you intimately. In fact, He knows you better than you know yourself. And and He is accomplishing His good and sovereign purpose in every believer. I mean, our God is involved in our lives. He cares for us. And He is faithful. And this passage describes... His incredible work for us in three stages. So first of all, He tells us that the Spirit helps. 
The Spirit helps. So the passage begins, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Now, now notice that the verse begins in the same way, or some other translations would say, likewise. So, so that tells us that he's making a comparison, or he's building off of something that he already said. So, so what is that? Well, well, remember from last week that verses 18 through 25 explained how suffering fits in our pathway to eternal glory. Someday we're going to be with Christ. We're going to be glorified. That passage described how suffering plays a role in that process. So life in this world is hard. It's very hard. We, we suffer for Christ. And then sometimes and very often we, we suffer just under the general effects of the curse. But verses 24 and 25 reminded us that the gospel is a gospel of hope. That this world is not all there is. There's something far better coming at the end. And that hope provides strong encouragement as we suffer in this world. So, so the hope of the gospel, the hope that I'm going to be with Christ, keeps me focused and it keeps me motivated to persevere through every challenge. And now Paul says, likewise, here's another encouragement that, that, that helps weary Christians as we suffer in this world. Not only does the gospel offer us encouragement, but the Spirit also helps our weakness. The Spirit is there to help bear the load of life in this world. Now, now the remainder of the passage is going to talk specifically about weakness in prayer. But but I believe this opening statement is broader than that. And it's saying that the Spirit helps in general with with every kind of weakness that we have. And I say that because of the connection with with what goes before it. So, So incredibly, God declares that the Holy Spirit helps us as we endure just the the general uh, challenges of life in a sin-cursed world, and especially the Spirit helps us as we struggle for godliness, as we struggle through our spiritual weakness. And I say that's the primary concern because that's the primary concern of Romans 8, which is how do we get from point A where we are today to glory someday? How How is God changing us? So yes, The world and the devil, they strongly resist your spiritual progress. But the biggest enemy of your spiritual progress is not the devil. The biggest enemy of your spiritual progress is inside you. It is you. Your sin nature constantly resists doing God's will. Every one of us battles sin and temptation every day. And, And our physical limitations only increase the struggle. We get tired and cranky. We are oftentimes forgetful. Our understanding is small, and sometimes we we can't even understand through the fog our own desires and our own passions. We are very weak, and our weakness makes life difficult, and it especially slows our spiritual progress, and sometimes it can be very discouraging. And yet God has not left you alone in your weakness. He says here that He has given you His Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps with our weakness. That picture there, the the verb that He uses there for for helps, is a compound verb 
that, that means that he doesn't just help, he, it means he is with us. So, so the picture is, is that you are bearing this heavy load. And the Spirit comes alongside you, he is under the load with you, and he is helping you carry the load of your own spiritual weakness. And so he's helping you with the load of, of, of your, just your sinful heart. He's helping you overcome your pride, sinful passions. He's helping you fight past your spiritual blindness and move towards glory. So He is with you every step of the way as you struggle to press forward and please the Lord. And that's such an encouraging picture because you know, God, God could have done it another way. He, he could have saved you and, and said when you got saved, now trust me, that future glory outshines every present suffering. So, so be tough. Deal with how hard it is down here, and I'll see you when you get to heaven. God could have done that, but He didn't. He gave you the Holy Spirit when you were saved. And the Spirit is with you, and He promises to help you with every weakness on your way to glory. And so you can trust Him to sustain you through every challenge to your faith. The Spirit's going to help you get up from every failure. He's going to help you battle every temptation of sin. He's going to help you stay focused through every distraction of life. He's going to convict you when you begin to develop a blind spot. The Spirit is helping with every weakness. That's just a wonderful, simple thought. So, So give thanks for the Spirit's presence. God cares. God is very near to every one of His children. There is no place you can go from the Spirit of the Lord. He is always there. And then take courage. Because your weakness can feel very overwhelming at times. But we are never alone. We're never alone. If you are in Christ and the Spirit is in your heart, The Spirit is helping to bear the load of all of your weakness. And by His grace, every Christian will overcome. So keep going. And then Paul zeroes in on one specific way that the Spirit helps us. The Spirit, the second stage of the passage, is that the Spirit prays. So the Spirit helps, and then the Spirit prays. So, So look at what he goes on to say in the rest of verse 26. He says, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, this is an incredible little statement, but, but I have to warn you that, that it's, it's got some challenges to it. This is, this is one of those verses that, I mean, there, there's some mystery to this verse, and, and there's uh, just some, some, some challenges here theologically from an interpretive standpoint. So, so we need to deal with those challenges, all right? We need to make sure we really understand what Paul is saying here. But then we need to make sure that we step back and we apply it and, and we stand in awe of what God is saying and learn how to rest in God's promise. So, so that said, the first part of the statement is fairly simple, and I'm going to call it the Christian grasps. So, so when Paul says, he says there, we do not know how to pray as we should. Now, now, when he says that, he's not concerned there with our method of prayer. You know, like, should you pray standing up? Should you pray sitting down? What language should you use? 
uh, what, what a place should you pray. That, that's not what he's talking about. He's not going to talk, talk about how you do those things, how you go through the ritual of prayer. No, he is concerned with the requests that we bring to God. And, and we know that because he, he turns around and says and, and talks about the Spirit's intercession for us, which intercession would have to do with the requests that he brings to God on our behalf. So God is saying that even when we pray, we oftentimes don't know what to ask God for. Have you ever been there? I mean, sometimes, sometimes we are not conscious of it at all, but oftentimes we are. You're facing some sort of major situation, some overwhelming challenge, you're afraid of something, and, and you know you need to pray, but you have no idea what to say. You have no idea what you even want, or, or what you want God to accomplish. And so we don't know how to pray. Now, now I want to emphasize that, that, again, that Paul's primary concern is with spiritual growth. So, so it's true that, that you might not know what to pray about all sorts of things. You, you may not, you know, maybe you don't know what to pray for as far as a particular, you know, like a, a job opportunity, or, or you don't know what's best there. You don't know what financial choice you should make. You, you might not know how to work through a particular a conflict. And God, of course, cares for all of those various things. And, and He wants you to pray about all of them, and God has a will in all of them. But, but I do want to emphasize this again and again, that the primary concern here is, as it concerns, spiritual growth. And, and so Paul is saying that oftentimes we don't know how to pray for our own spiritual progress. And, and that's because we don't fully understand our spiritual needs and what targets we need to hit. And we as well don't always know the best route for us to get from where we are today to where God wants to take us tomorrow. Now, why is that? Well, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says that our hearts are deceitful. So so what we think is right is not always what is right. We don't even know ourselves. We are so weak that that we don't really know always what's going on in our hearts. We we have a struggle to sort through our own passions and thoughts. And we don't know where to go and we don't even know how to get there. Now, Now that doesn't mean that we don't at times think that we know what we need. Have you ever evaluated your life and thought, you know, if God would just fix this one thing, I would be so spiritual. I would be so godly. And maybe you've thought, you know, if my parents had not done this, or if my parents had done that, I'd be so much more spiritual. I'd be so godly. And maybe you were abused or traumatized as a child. And you think that, that man, God really messed up by letting me go through that. Because if I hadn't gone through that, that then all my struggles would just evaporate. You know, maybe it is that you think if God would just eliminate this one source of temptation in my life, then I'd be so spiritual. You know, maybe you think if God would remove a certain trial from your life, you'd have so much joy and so godly and do so much for the Lord. You know, maybe it, maybe it has to do with ministry. You know, if God would have just made me a little bit smarter or a little bit more outgoing, 
Man, I'd, I'd be winning people to Christ. I'd be doing so much if God would just change this one thing. Now, all of us, I'm sure, have thought those sorts of things. That we know what needs to happen in our life. And, and maybe God just missed it a little bit. Now, now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray about those very types of things. You know, so, so if as far as you can tell by the grace of God, you have a desire that, that to you seems godly and right, that, then you should pray that God would do what you think is right. So study the Bible. Get to know God's will as laid out in Scripture and pray boldly for the things that you believe God would have. So, so I want to be very clear today that, that I don't think that this passage is teaching that, that we just kind of should develop this like, you know, hum, you know, this false humility where, where I have no idea what God wants and no idea what's good, and so I'm just going to throw out these, you know, Lord, Your will be done. Take care of me. Do what You think's right. I'm going to leave it up to You. See you later. Amen. Type prayers. That's not what He's talking about here. No, the Bible is filled with very specific, very bold prayer requests that God oftentimes answers. And, and even though, for example, God did not answer Paul's request to remove the thorn from his flesh. That doesn't mean that Paul was wrong to ask for it. And Paul thought that something would be good. And he prayed for it. And that honors the Lord, even though God said no. So, so you should work to align your desires with Scripture and to pray accordingly. And pray boldly. But when God says no, or you're tempted to think that God messed up somehow, that He is being unkind or purposeless in the things that when He doesn't answer your prayers like you would like, then remember this verse. I think first of all, always remember that God is far more concerned with your godliness than He is with your comfort. You know, so much of the time when we get frustrated by God's answers to our prayers, it's really not about our godliness. It's about the fact that this thing is uncomfortable. And if God really loved me, He would take away my discomfort. So, so remember, first of all, that God's primary concern is your godliness. And we'll talk about that a ton more in verses 28 through 30 in a couple of weeks. But then remember that even when you have the right goal, you can't always see the best way to get there. You don't know what to pray for. So, so you are very weak. Now, now that might sound very depressing. But we should not be discouraged though because while the Christian grasps, Paul goes on to say that the Spirit translates. The Spirit translates. So, so look again at verse 26. He says at the end of the verse, even though we do not know how to pray, he says, but... The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now that statement is in strong contrast to what goes before. So, so we do not know how to pray. But, Paul says, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with perfect understanding. Now folks, that is an incredible statement that offers strong assurance. But, but it does raise a couple of, of tricky questions that we need to work through. So first of all, whose prayers are these? Are these the Spirit's prayers or are they my prayers? And then second, what does Paul mean 
by groanings too deep for words. Well, regarding the author of these prayers, I think it's pretty clear in the verse that, that the Spirit is the primary author of these prayers, right? Because he says, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. And verse 27 adds that the Father knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So it is the Spirit's will, it is the Spirit's desire, which is the driving force behind these prayers. They are His prayers fundamentally. So so the idea then, folks, is, is that the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. And He knows you perfectly. And the Holy Spirit knows your heart better than you know your heart. And this one who, who possesses infinite wisdom also knows exactly where we need to go spiritually and how to get us there. And then His passion for our sanctification inspires Him to plead for us. And His wisdom informs His perfect requests regarding the steps that we need to take to get there. He knows what needs to happen, and He is praying for that. And it isn't just incredible to think that the Holy Spirit is that involved in my life. Now, verse 34 will say that that the Son, God the Son, is at the Father's right hand, and He is interceding for us. And here, verse 26 says that the Holy Spirit is in our hearts, and He is praying. And they're praying to God the Father. So so God is near to our struggle. And God, all three members of the Godhead, are working for us. That's incredible. It's an incredible thought to consider. But, But while these prayers are fundamentally the prayers of the Spirit for our sanctification... The text also indicates that that we participate in them. So so I don't believe that these are just the Spirit's prayers. I think that that we are very much involved in this. It's not like He is just doing this on His own, that He and the Father are having their conversation, and and I have no part in the whole thing. After all, uh, it makes the most sense to see the groanings here in verse 26 as as our groanings. Why would the Holy Spirit be groaning? No, no, we are the ones who are groaning, I believe. And as well, verse 27 says that the Father becomes aware of these prayers by searching our hearts or, or our desires. So that indicates that, that my desires, my passion, my heart participates in this process. Now, now, there's clearly some mystery here, right? I mean, you can't go home and like audibly listen to this in yourself. You know, there's some mystery involved in in what exactly is going on here, but but the thought seems to be that the Holy Spirit creates in the heart of every Christian a hunger for godliness. Like, if you know the Lord, you want to please Him. You want to be godly. And, And in fact, you could say that we groan for it. Now, that word groan is a significant word in context because remember last week we saw in verse 22 that the subhuman creation groans for the redemption of man. And then verse 23 said that Christians also groan for God's glory. And now Paul adds that the Spirit inspires our groaning after God's purpose. So if you are a Christian you aren't content with where you are at spiritually. 
Now, now hopefully you're thankful for the process, you, the progress you've made. But, but every Christian has a holy dissatisfaction with where he's at, and, and he longs to take that next step towards Christ. And, and so we have these groanings too deep for words. This, this hunger in our heart, this, this frustration with where I'm at, and this groaning to go forward. Now, now we do need to think here about a little bit more about this. What is a groaning too deep for words? And I'll mention that, that, that many people believe that Paul is describing some kind of charismatic experience here. And maybe you've heard people say that this is some sort of private prayer language. And, and that what Paul's describing here is, is, is a prayer that, that's not with your mind. You don't necessarily understand it. You're just, you know, uh, like, like so much of tongues speaking today. It's just, it's, it's gibberish that, that really doesn't have any defined content. And, and I don't believe, and I'm confident that's not what Paul means. Because for one... The gift of tongues, the New Testament is clear that the gift of tongues is, is not for everyone. It was a special gift that belonged only to certain people. But what's going on here is something that is available to every Christian. And I think as well, um, uh, the, the text, the idea behind groanings too deep for words, the, the, the idea behind the Greek there is not that this is unintelligible, ununderstandable speech. No, rather the idea is that it is a wordless groaning. And so, just like the groanings of anyone who is suffering, the Holy Spirit inspires Christians to groan for our sanctification. We're not always sure where we need to go or how to get there. So we don't always know how to pray. Sometimes you might be at a complete loss for words. But the Spirit knows exactly what needs to happen. And the Spirit takes your groanings after God's will, your groanings for godliness, and He puts real content behind them. And He prays specifically and perfectly to the Father for the things that we truly need. And when I, when I read this, I'm reminded of Paul's testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So, so keep your finger here and turn back to 2 Corinthians 12. And this passage doesn't describe exactly the same thing that's going on in our passage. But I think it's, it's a good instance where we can put together some pieces and see how God does this. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this is a familiar passage. And I want to read verses 7 through 10. And Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
So, so you're probably familiar with the text here. So, so Paul tells us that he had some type of thorn in the flesh. And, and we don't know what that thorn in the flesh is exactly. Uh, some people have speculated that Paul had very bad eyesight. Uh, others, other indications that he might have had some sort of speech impediment or something like that. It could have been some other physical challenge. Uh, but, but, but whatever it is, we know that, that Paul struggled with viewing it as a hindrance to his ministry. So let's just wonder if, if potentially he had some sort of speech issue. I mean, he's a preacher. So, so wouldn't, couldn't he be a much better preacher if God would take away the speech impediment and he could just talk clearly? And, and so from his perspective, he wanted to reach people for Christ. He wanted to, to do the ministry that God had called him to do. And he wanted this hindrance taken away so that he could do the ministry per- better. And so he prayed. He prayed, Lord, take this away. But you know what? The Holy Spirit knew the heart of Paul better than he did. And, and, and the Holy Spirit understood that, that if this thorn were removed from Paul's flesh, it would not lead to greater ministry. It would lead to pride and to arrogance. And, and, so, and so God knew that, that, that what he really needed, that this thorn was not actually a hindrance to Paul's ministry, the Holy Spirit understood that it was critical to his success because it was critical to keeping him dependent on the Lord. It was good, not bad. And, and so the Spirit, I, I think we can surmise that the Spirit who knew Paul's heart perfectly, when, when Paul prayed, Lord, take away this thorn in my flesh, The Holy Spirit took that uninformed and ultimately wrong prayer and said, ignore him. Don't take it away because he needs that. And so the the Holy Spirit took Paul's ignorant prayer and, and turned it into his own perfect prayer so that Paul would get what he really needed to grow spiritually and serve effectively. And that's exactly what happened. God left the thorn in in Paul's flesh and it fulfilled its function of keeping him humble and dependent on the Lord and understanding of his need for God's grace. And Paul continued to serve as effectively as he possibly could. Now aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that the Spirit is interceding for you? I mean, where would we be if God gave us everything we prayed for. I, I would imagine every mature believer in, your, in here can think back at some point where you thought you really needed something and you prayed that God would give it to you and today you are so glad that God said no. Like you prayed that this girl would marry you. And you're like, man, I am so glad she said no, Lord. <laughs> or something like that. And, and you can go on and on down the line. You thought, man, I need this car. Lord, give me this car or give me this job. And now with a little perspective, you're like, wow. God knew what He was doing. And I am so glad that God said no. I mean, if God gave us everything that we prayed for, we would ruin our lives and bring horrible results, not just to our practical life, but to our spiritual life. And yet, how incredible is it that even when we don't know what to pray, or even when we pray the wrong prayers, 
the right prayers are still making it to the Father's ear. So what a blessing it is to know that the Spirit knows our hearts. And He is praying perfectly for us in accordance with the Father's will. But that's not the end of the story. Not only are the perfect prayers being offered, verse 27 adds the third stage of the passage, which is that the Father answers. The Father answers. So so back in Romans 8, verse 27, it says, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, now verse 27 doesn't explicitly say that God the Father is in view, but that's clearly who, who who would be in view based on what we know from Scripture about prayer, that our prayers are generally directed to God the Father, and we have here in Romans 8 both God the Son and God the Spirit praying so their prayers are, are directed towards God the Father. So, so, so verse 27 moves from the Spirit to the Father. And, and he tells us, first of all, that the Father knows. The Father knows. So, so we just saw that the Spirit knows our hearts perfectly. And now Paul adds that the Father also knows perfectly. It says, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. So our God is in the heavens, but He is also searching the hearts of God's people. He is very close to us. He knows our needs, but but more than He knows our hearts, God tells us here that He knows the mind of the Spirit. So, you know, the Holy Spirit, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, they they don't have to like, even, even have a conversation. And, and, and they don't have to even really communicate at all because, because they are in such perfect harmony that the, that the Father always knows exactly what the Spirit is thinking. And adding to our confidence is the fact that the Father agrees with the mind of the Spirit. He says there, um, he says in verse 27, he knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There's no conflict there. You know, the Spirit never has an agenda that's even, you know, two degrees off from the Father's agenda. You know, their agendas are always perfectly aligned. The Spirit's will is to do the Father's will. And so they are in perfect accordance with each other. And of course, that's, that's obvious, right? I mean, if you've been in church at all, you know that the Father and the Spirit, they don't disagree with each other. But, but it's still incredible because, because verse 26 noted that very often we don't know what we need. And as a result, our prayers are oftentimes contrary to the will of God. I mean, how many, I mean, it's funny to think, how many times have you prayed, Lord, do this, and you know, you quoted a Bible verse, and God's like, man, you, let's just put that aside. Because we have no idea. We are wrong, and God disagrees, and the answer is no. But the Father never disagrees with the Holy Spirit. They both earnestly desire our spiritual growth. They share the same vision of what that looks like. And they agree on the best path to get there. So, So while the text doesn't say it explicitly, it clearly implies that the Father always answers. 
I mean, the Spirit prays according to the will of God. And so the Father will answer every prayer of the Spirit for our spiritual growth. There is no desire of the Holy Spirit that the, the God the Father says, nope, that's a little off. The Holy Spirit never has to say, Lord, you know, not my will, but your will be done. His will is always, their wills are always perfectly aligned. And I love, just to pull all this together, how John Murray summarizes the story of this text. He says, this is a little bit longer, but I think, uh, follow with me, I think it's good. He says, as God searches the heart of the children of God, he finds unuttered and unutterable groanings. Though they are thus inarticulate, there is a meaning and intent that cannot escape the omniscient eye of God. They are wholly intelligible to Him. And furthermore, they are found to be in accordance with His will. They are consonant with His will because though surpassing our understanding and utterance, they are indicted by the Holy Spirit and are the ways in which His intercessions come to expression in our consciousness. Since they are the intercessions of the Holy Spirit, they always meet with the understanding and approval of God. They are agreeable to Him. It's just an incredible, I mean, what an incredible window into God's working for us. And then uh, John Murray adds, I love this statement. He says, not our infirmity of understanding and request is the measure of God's grace. Aren't you thankful for that? That, that your understanding and the goodness of your prayers are not ultimately what determines the grace of God in your life. Because we'd all be in a lot of trouble. So again, not our infirmity of understanding and request is the measure of God's grace, but the knowledge, wisdom, and love of the Holy Spirit. You don't ultimately determine how the grace of God comes to you. The Spirit does. Because He knows perfectly. He is wise and good, and He is accomplishing His purpose. So folks, our God is amazing. And to go back to how I began, our God is not far off and apathetic. He is very near to us. He is highly involved in our lives. And He is very concerned for what is happening to you. And we should be so grateful that He is our God. That, that He is with us. He is involved with us. He cares for us. And He has the power to accomplish all of His good purposes. And so I hope that when we look at a passage like this, that we will love our God more and that we will worship Him more. And then from there, we need to draw strong confidence from this passage about the Spirit's ministry for us. So, so first of all, be confident in God's sovereign will for your life. And God knows you better than you know yourself. And, and, and again, if you've been saved for any length of time, you can probably look back at something, and, and there was something out in front of you, and you said, that is good. And I want it. And then, looking back, you realize, no, it was not good. And I'm so glad God didn't give it to me. And so, be confident in God's sovereign will for your life. He knows what you need far better than you do. 
And God doesn't waste any hardship, any weakness that He makes us endure. Everything He does is good and right. And you may not understand why He does what He does, but you know that He understands perfectly. And you know that you can trust Him. So be confident in God's will. And then second, be confident that God will keep you. That He will sanctify you and He will bring you to glory. I mean, that's, that's really the main point of all this. Why does Paul even bring this up? Because again, remember that the whole purpose of Romans 8 is to describe how we can know that God will take us from faith in Christ to, to persevere through the Christian life and glory someday. And what he's saying is one of the pieces in, in this puzzle from, from my decision to say, receive Christ, my regeneration to my glorification, one of the big pieces in how I get from there to there is the Spirit's ministry of intercession for me. So He will sanctify you and He will bring you to glory. Now you don't know what the road ahead may look like. We, we don't. We, we don't know what temptations are ahead what threats are coming to our spiritual health. You don't know, and you don't know how God is going to carry you through any of that. So, so there's so much unknown. But you do know that God has a plan. That God knows exactly what is coming, and He has a plan to carry you through. And all three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, are working to accomplish this good plan. And that is enough. That is enough. So trust the Lord. Trust the Spirit that He will accomplish His good purpose in you. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this incredible passage of Scripture. And thank You for, more more importantly, for, for who You are and for what You are doing in our lives based on your incredible care, your knowledge, your presence, your power. Oh Lord, you are an awesome God and you are doing great things. And so Lord, I pray for believers here who are struggling under the weight of their own weakness. We all are. And yet maybe some are struggling more than others. So Lord, help them to trust you. Help them to believe in your purpose and to rest in the goodness of your will. I pray for those of us that, uh, for others, that, that Lord, we would just stay encouraged. Uh, I pray for people who are struggling with sin. They would trust you to carry you through. Lord, help us all to trust the Spirit to accomplish his good purpose in us. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are always near. Thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us that you are always present. And so, Lord, we look forward to the day that you finish that process and bring us to glory. And until then, keep our faith strong, keep our confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen.